Hello, and welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. This episode is called, is entitled, sorry, Gilded Age and Time Cheeseburgers. And our guest, <laughs> and it's about, well, actually two books, uh, Eating a Cheeseburger During the End Times and P-Town Forever. And our guest for this episode is someone who knows a little something about the two books, Eating a Cheeseburger During the End Times and P-Town Forever, John Grohalski, coming to us via Zoom from Brooklyn, New York. Hello, John. Thank you for being on the podcast. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing? I I haven't died yet. I haven't drowned in my own lung fluid. So there we're you there. You go. That's 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 step what up. we got. That's what we get. Yeah. Everything you know, everything's a step forward. Correctly, <laughs> if you drown your own lung fluid and getting out of bed in the morning. Yeah, that's that's what we get. That's what we uh, thing. And you are someone who very much. I spent the entire day yesterday inside your literary mind. Mm, <laughs> Just good. <laughs> it was a good time. It's just, it's. I, I would. No, hey, I would recommend it to a friend. Um, well, but yeah, so I read P Town Forever, which full disclosure, I did blurb for you. Yes, and, and thank you again. No problem. And eating a cheeseburger in the end because I finished the the novel and I was like, well, I got this poetry book in the mail a few weeks ago. And actually, I also read American Alien Invasion. Yes, that was the chapbook from a few years back that I, yes. I did barely no promotion on it and just decided to start. And you know, the time someone got a book from me, I'm like, let me throw this in here because uh, yeah, and, I don't think and knows that exists. Yes. Except for people that blurbed it. Yes. And while we can we can promote all three right here on this podcast. Right. And um and again, the you know, the part of this podcast or the big part of this podcast is me just geeking out on things that I like. And I'd find right. interesting. And so thing one for us to, I should actually should have this pod, 93 episodes in, maybe I'm thinking about how to make this podcast listenable thing. One, I would like to geek out about is your capacity to capture something about this era in American history where everything is shiny, sparkly, and wonderful on the surface. Yet there is so much bullshit and so much awfulness and so much suffering and so much failure in this country. And it's sort of inescapable. And mm -hmm. I love the novel. I love the, the poems that really capture that you, you, you just walk around and you, you can't avoid it. You can't avoid seeing shining glittery new cars and, you know, homeless people, suffering people, fighting people, people whose, you know, very basic needs are not being met. Mm -hmm. And what a statement on America in the 21st century. Well, I mean, America is, I mean, at a very base level, America is like a delicious pepperoni pizza with some of the dog shit in the middle of it, isn't it? You know, you got <laughs> delicious thing here that that could be so delicious except there's this big pile of shit right in the middle of it and that that's america i mean i don't i i see a lot of writers that 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 do that as well so i don't i don't think it's any kind of special insight except for maybe having a general negative attitude and, and being aware um you know it, I, I can't i can't discount the fact that i look for the negative in everything so there therefore i, I have an initial leg up when I'm already being like, oh, shiny car, well, look at that dent, you know, or like, you know, 
this person walking down the street minding their own business, I know they're gonna be one of those assholes that's gonna tell me it's nice day. Like I, I, I understand <laughs> that. And those are my the most detestable people on the planet. Those people have to point out that it's a nice day. And then there's the Samuel Beckett thing. It's like, well, to whom? It's like, you know, well, what do you mean by it? Just because there's a sun shining in the sky? I don't know. Maybe that's how I view America. The sun shining in the sky and it's a asshole telling it's a nice day. <laughs> well, <laughs> There you go. This is how I answer questions. That is a, that's a decent answer, but I wouldn't discount. I, I think for me, it's almost so to see these things and to think about these things. I, don't we have a moral imperative? Isn't that actually the only way past them? And I and I I'm thinking about this even in the shadow of, uh, you know, one of the things in P Town Forever part of the 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 dynamic of p-town of the band p of the boy band p-town we should probably explain what that means in a moment um is a fight over 9 11 that happened on the internet we're coming up on the 20th anniversary and i yes, don't sir. think we're over it yet i don't think no, we've no. even dealt with it i think everything that's dictated the last 20 years of our policy is as a, a result of, of not being able to deal with it yeah we're dealing with it in the most callously ignorant superficial way that you can yes which is you know was a initially was to, to, to go and start two wars that have been everlasting yeah and then to you know over the course of the years have the entire political spectrum gear right to the point where i look at, at your standard under the lines and democrats i'm like those would have been republicans 30 years ago yeah <laughs> and it's so easy to just eat that to take your pizza metaphor it's so easy for so many people to just eat around the dog shit. Yes. And I'm not an eat around the dog shit person. I'm about a, you know, throw the pizza away person, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Um, but I mean, I think even, I guess amongst the community of writers, it's it's maybe more common to at least acknowledge that yeah, there might be something weird at the end of this slice. And, you know, I, it's not one of those Pizza Hut stuffed crust deals where you eat crust first. But mm -hmm. um, there, I think there's something wrong with the pizza. But yet we offer that as a society. We offer the no, just no, just don't just just it doesn't exist. It just doesn't. It's not part of our reality. It's not part of. And um, I don't know. I think that's why we're so lost. It, it, the country as a whole, but I think, I think if you're a writer and you're talking about a moral imperative, and if, it, if the moral imperative is to point out the hypocrisy that you see, if, if that's, that's what you do as a writer, or, or most likely a lot of writers do that. I mean, I, maybe it's just the people I read that, that come from, they might not write it the way I write it, but they're definitely in the same line um, that, we've almost taken that, that, that matrix line. We've taken that, that, that the wrong pill. We've taken that pill that we see the reality that maybe other people yeah. have. And I trust me, I have plenty of times where I just want to eat the goddamn steak. You know, I, even if you've seen the matrix, like, I just want the steak. It's like, you know, my wife will talk to me and, and, and I'll, I've said to her in the past, I said, you know what? I just wish that I was an attractive dumb person. What an easy way to get by in America. If you're just an attractive, I don't mean like an, a complete idiot. Like it's, I mean, it makes for great writing, but it, it doesn't make for great living some days. You know what I, what I mean? Yeah. Like, is to continuously see the hypocrisy, to continuously ask idiots that tell you what a nice day it is, to, to, to 
it's to see the disparity on, uh, just on every street corner, uh, just to see, I mean, witnessing racism on a regular basis in the neighborhood that I live in, uh, you know, to the point where in, in the past I've had to stop while, while some white guys yelling at a Muslim girl. And this is before Trump, you know, it, it, it is, we do, I, I do get, get that because I'm stuck, stuck on that moral imperative aspect. I think we do. I, I, when, I, when I sit down to write, like, I, I try to be two things. I try to be topical and I try to be funny. Yeah. Because I, I figure that it, the one makes the other one go down easier. And it also, like, I, I be honest, I, I, I probably am the only person that I'm, I probably amuse myself more than I amuse others. So it's to amuse me as well as the writers to, to have a humor spent to it. But there, I always have to come back to this. If, what am I going to write about if I ignore those things? Yeah. And I, what, I mean, how many poems do I need about my inability to write a poem? Yeah. You know, like that, that, that sort of poet things that poets do where they write about poems for poets and poetry. Yeah, I choose these things. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I, I'm thinking about I'm just coming off of a semester where I taught a fiction workshop one and, you know, the young people. And again, technically, I mean, they're good writers. They care. They're there to experiment. They're there to try things. They might be there to fulfill their creative expression, gen ed core curriculum requirement so they can graduate this semester. Um, but one of the things that I found is, you know, in thinking about just people who can just technically write, they can put sentences together that are clear and understandable and create characters and have a sense of place and a sense of setting and have those characters do stuff mm-hmm. well, it's 90% versus, of it, yeah, it's just 90% of it. But then the next thing, and the thing that I realized now at the end of the semester that I struggled to teach them is that maybe the good stuff, the really good stuff, find some kind of fault line, find some kind of tension, find some kind of irresolvable, immovable tectonic plates that grind together. And thinking about that as an idea of like, how do we understand the world? How do we represent the world in in a literary way? And that was maybe the, you know, since we especially talked a lot about, I mean, the, the whole semester was really about craft and was really about a lot of it was teaching them how to give telling details and ambiguity and show, not tell, you know, that was 10 of the 15 weeks. Okay. Uh, you know, and again, these students were, were tried really hard and they, there's some really good writers. There were some really good writers in that class. And I think every piece that was produced and revised for their final portfolios. I was like, okay, now you can send this around, see what happens, keep working on it. It's there. But for me, and it's not just, I think what I find fascinating, but I think truly think what the good stuff is, is the stuff that finds and lays bare those fault lines. Well, yeah, that's where you find your humanity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing I've been thinking a lot about and thinking about your work in particular is what's not fixable. What's the mess? What is human ambivalence? I thought modern, you know, there's, there's this way of thinking that maybe modernity can solve all of our problems. We can make everything neat and clean and fixed and perfect and beautiful that's actually not the human condition. That's not human life. 
And, you, you know, you can't make everything perfect and beautiful if you're not willing to help people. Yeah. If, if, you know, in, in some aspects, this country has over 400 years of a mess to clean up. If yeah. you if you want to go back to, you know, people owning people. Uh, yeah. That, that, America's and Americans, and I'm not excluding myself here, we're very good at avoidance in terms of things we've done wrong, um, in terms of how we how things we try to sweep under the rug. I mean, what was that? What they do in, in Texas today? They just passed that. They're trying to pass that law to like get um, what is it? Race theory taken out of the classroom oh, and not, not even allowing teachers to talk about about modern events. I mean, come on. You, I mean, and you're dealing with impressionable children there. I mean, and I don't know, you know, you go back talking about your, your students and, you know, I'm curious at what they're in, who, who and what they're influenced by now. I mean, I know who and what I was influenced by. I know that, that when I was a writer at their age, I probably wasn't writing much of substance so much as, as writing down Bob Dylan lyrics in a notebook while the teacher was telling me how bad my short story was and I didn't want to hear it. Uh, so, I mean, that, that, that comes down to it too. Like my, my influences were people that, that, wrote in that way that sang songs in that way that made films in that way that 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 showed the disparity that showed the sort of ambivalence that people had um you know our ugly side that comes out yeah i think there's such a big emphasis on the hollywood way of thinking and seeing Mm -hmm. and escapism and adventure that you find prevalent in their fiction now that the yeah. students, wow. Yeah. Um, which was really interesting because uh, the other sort of transformative teaching experience I had this last semester was I, I taught a class on teaching in film and teachers in film, basically. Mm-hmm. And it was, how do we represent, we pick 10 movies. How do we represent education in film? And what was fascinating to me was to watch their literacy grow because film, I mean, for them is classic film Star Wars. Is it Star Wars, Jaws, Indiana Jones? That is kind of the cinematic arts in in that blockbuster model and whatever DC Marvel versus Marvel universe or whatever. Um, And it was really interesting watching their cinematic literacy grow over the semester because they just keep asking questions and keep, you know, a lot of them were also future ed majors or are ed majors aspiring future teachers. And the joke that we hit at the end of the semester, and I'm sure it's going to be in my evals, is just that I wrote a bunch of, uh, or I, I made these students, I made these students hate movies or made movies. Um, bad for them (laughs) like they'll never be able to just watch a movie again they're now literate and they're now thinking about whether it's social issues the power of representation you know the first time we went through dead poet society they're like yes but robin williams robin williams and then when we talk about the star system and talk about what education means and then suddenly the things that they started coming and writing about dead poet society really Mm -hmm. complex and That's nuanced cool. and interesting and troubling and and problematic uh, what you know that film is um and they're like yeah well movies are ruined for us forever <laughs> and, and so to say that is that that like the way you the way you you sort of made it sound is that that it 
ruined in quotes, meaning, wow, now I'm now I'm a film watcher. Or they or they were they, they or do you believe they were very literal in saying that that movies have been ruined for me? Um, I think for them, it's no longer this escapist thing. It's no longer this surface level thing. You know, it's funny. Even one of my students was saying about how she was watching, you know, of she because of COVID quarantine ended up just going home for a part of the semester. And it's like, Oh well, my, I got to watch this movie for class. You know, let's watch it together or whatever. And her mom just being like, wow, I think it was, it was dangerous minds with Michelle Pfeiffer and just being like her mom being like, wow, what a great movie. What a great, you know, inspirational thing. You're going to be a teacher. You can be that kind of teacher. And then her saying it's like, no ma. And then going off for 20 minutes about, all the weird race stuff in that movie, how the pedagogy is completely impractical, all of this stuff. So that's what they mean by ruined movies. They can't just, they just can't watch um, a supersized Coca-Cola on ice and just sip it and not think about the high fructose corn syrup in it. <laughs> You know, Good. I mean, that that for them is that's I'm what they mean by run films. They, they just can't have that cold Coke anymore and go, mm, yeah, this is good for you, I guess. Well, it, you know, it's what our culture's fed to. And I, I don't blame I, I I'm the last person in the world to, to say that my that the things I grew up with are better than what people have mm -hmm. now, despite whatever criticisms I have. I mean, everybody forges their own path. I, I promise myself I won't be one of those people. But yeah. I will I will criticize the culture at large and say that. Yes. That I don't know if we'd have Dangerous Minds right now. And I, I think if I'm correct, Dangerous Minds actually made money when it was out and Dead Poet Society did. But I feel like they'd be rele relegated to art houses now. They wouldn't play in, 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 a, in, a, in your showcase cinema, whatever, with, yeah. with 10 other movies. And that's that's not kids' fault. That's not my fault as a person. Because you know, before COVID, I mean, my wife and I sought out movies. We had, we're lucky to have places like the Angelica in the city. But mm. if, if I weren't, if I weren't a discerning film view when I was just a regular 47 year old guy going to the movies like yeah. I have a lot of big bang Hollywood stuff that's put that into me that's yeah. I don't think that's a generational thing so much as the people that who are in charge that just they understand that everything and, and maybe it's the money behind it. everything has to be yes. big everything has to be blockbuster and you know there's no no time for 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 something like a dangerous minds or, or a dead poet society or, or anything beyond that yeah make a couple thousand bucks and they get nominated for an Oscar. Then you have people bitch about, well, why didn't see this movie? Well, no, it's not. Yeah. It wasn't presented to us as, as, as in a wider way. And yeah. you know, blockbuster films used to, you know, we don't have middling films anymore. Like, no, like the amount of movies Dudley Moore was in the eighties. Let's use him as an example. <laughs> you know, the culture, like the, these big blockbusters used to feed into them making these kind of middling, like, Two or three million dollar movies that that I, I lived off on H, off on HBO, yeah. and they don't now. Now it goes back into profits or back into to paying off CEOs and things like that. At least yeah. that's my impression. No, I think you're right. And you know, Pittsburgh, we lost filmmakers, we lost the Oaks, yeah. we lost the Hollywood. There's the Harris downtown. In terms of art, true art house cinema, there's one screen now when the world reopens. Um, but no, you're you're absolutely right. The middling film, the drama film, is gone. Uh, I had this great experience a few years ago of watching Moonlight in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And the only reason why Moonlight played in Altoona, Pennsylvania was because it had already won Best Picture. Right. And they just happened to be up the mountain and happened to be the friends were like, hey, we're going to go watch Moonlight. You want to go to the movies with us? And we were like, and we didn't have our dog then or anything. We were like, yeah, let's go watch the Moonlight. And 
it was yeah and it had only played i mean there i remember that great year 1999 um there was all those great films for best picture and i have friends who lived up the mountain and they did not have if they wanted to see any of those movies any of the best picture nominees they would have had to have driven into pittsburgh and that's 20 years that's 20 plus years ago so it's 20 plus years ago and it's only gotten worse yeah it's considerably worse yeah and it's, so it's nice to have things that are actually art <laughs> that are actual meaningful explorations even if you know softened with a dose of humor that just are willing to say let's look around at the world and see what we see and let's think about how we got here you know, I love that bit in P-Town Forever where your protagonist comes back to Pittsburgh and there's that line about the suburbanites are moving back into the city and they want their chain stores, Yeah, which is absolutely what is happening in Pittsburgh, you know, and you actually have a city government that is actively screwing over family-owned businesses for the sake of chains well it's interesting that the the whole impetus for that line uh there's a, a writer in in new york named jeremiah moss who, who lives in the east village and that's jeremiah moss's take on on the nyu kids that that stick like mm. these these villages brunch land now if you go into these yeah. villages or at least i'm, I'm talking pre-covid we're it was yeah. brunch land. It, it's 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 brunch land during the morning, and then it's bros watching football games in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. There's not anything wrong with that, but each village, let's be honest, each village has a certain cash attendant to its name. Yeah, that isn't true of it anymore. Um, but it, it was Jeremiah Moss's take is that you know when you walk through these villages, Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks, it's that people didn't want to discover. You know, the people that ended up staying in the city post college didn't want to discover new things and what they wanted was they wanted their Dunkin' Donuts. They wanted their Domino's. They didn't want to go to Joe's Pizza. They didn't want to go to Vinny's Coffee Shop. They didn't want to go to the Jewish Delicatessen. You know, they wanted Tim Hortons. And yeah. in the few trips I'd taken to Pittsburgh beforehand, and I'd seen some of that, like there was a couple of times I passed Craig Street in Oakland. I went down and there was just a big, huge complex with like a, a CVS or a Reddit or whatever, whatever big box uh, drugstores are now. And I'm like, geez, Christ, this is in Oakland. And then if you walk in Oakland itself, if you, if you go down Forbes or fifth, I mean, with Pitt, I'm assuming it's Pitt, what they've done to that, they finally got their way uh, yeah. there. But, you know, this, this stuff has become comfort. And I, again, I'm not blaming the kids. I'm no. blaming the attendant culture that, that, corporatizes everything and this is what you're left with i think yeah. that your average college student would seek out a small burger joint but all they've ever known is five guys yeah it, it, it's to say that we had more choice or to say that things weren't as corporatized that's probably true to some extent or at least it hadn't encroached as far as it's gotten uh and that uh, a lot of fuels a lot of what i do writing wise too because it, it angers me yeah you know yeah, and I think, again, I think it also is that, you know, I had this experience with music, and we got to talk about music too, in terms, especially about P Town Forever. Um, <laughs> thinking about music as opening a door to, you know, when for me it was when the alternative nation happened, thing happened, you know, and you just suddenly went, oh, there are songs better than the songs on the radio or there's songs that reach me better than songs on the radio. 
I need to look for more of those songs. And I've never, I haven't stopped looking for those songs. Yeah. It's versus, like you know, um, yeah, like whatever the algorithm provides or whatever your Spotify channel playlist algorithm provides you. As well, you like this song. If you like this song, you're going to really like this one. Yeah. They're really pushy, aren't they? Yes. Um, that's I think that's a very different attitude for culture. And I think it's also this question of if you grew up in the suburbs, because there's also that interesting in P-Town Forever, the the, you know, are they are they the Penn Hills boys or are they <laughs> with the sheets Z on the end? Yeah, with the Z, you know. Yeah. Or are they called P-Town? Right. You know, uh, if you are in those environments where you can go and seek out other things or just have the door open, it's like, Oh, actually this is the thing that's better than the other thing. This is, this is a donut better than Tim Hortons. Right. Damn. What else is out there? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I get to, I do get to have this experience. Like I made my comp students watch the film waves from 2019. And a lot of them said they've never seen a movie like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it blew their minds. And it's just like, yeah, there's a, there's, there's other things out there. You can have this kind of story or you can have this kind of representation of people. Um, the other interesting thing about waves is the protagonist changes halfway through the movie. It's a story about a family. The first half's about the brother. The second half's about the sister and the aftermath right, of something that the brother did. Seen, you should see that everybody should see waves. It's tremendous. It didn't go anywhere. It was a middling film. It played at the Harris downtown, our one, now lone remaining art house theater. It played for, I think, a week, week and a half. Sea waves, everybody. I think it's on Hulu. Yeah, this, this, I can tell you, this, this last year of being uh, quarantined has really thrown me off with film. TV shows, I, I, I've spent the last year binge watching more shit than I, I ever thought I'd see. I probably watched five years worth of, te- with the amount of time I get to watch television in a normal year, I probably watched five years worth of television in, in, in 12, 13 months. Mm-hmm. A lot of great shows, a lot of great stuff out there. I think probably better TV than I've ever seen in my life. But uh, movies, on the other hand, were just because I wasn't going to the theater as regularly, it was lost on me. Yeah. I mean, it's, and also I, I ruined them. Uh, my comp students, you know, because the class has to be multi-genre. So some of them, they actually read a whole book of poems. The first time they've ever read a book of poetry by a contemporary poet. Never had that experience before. And hopefully they went, oh, that's interesting, you know, or... <laughs> That speaks to me. And actually, what's interesting, uh, the the poem, the book of poetry I have my students read is uh, Elvis Lives by Kevin Koval, okay. which is about white people playing black music, which is an attention in peace. So P-Town Forever, I guess I'm you should explain. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read that one. Elvis yes, it's Lives. on Haymarket. Um, actually, I just took the book out of here. I would have shown it to you on Zoom. But yeah, it's called Elvis Lives by Kevin Koval. And it's L hyphen V-I-S lives okay, exclamation okay. point um just just tremendous because he was a white jewish kid in suburban chicago in the 80s before white jewish kids in suburban chicago in the 80s were allowed to listen to hip-hop and so See, the poems are about you could add your own beastie boys <laughs> yes so the poems are about him as a white elvis figure vanilla ice which i have to explain to my students who vanilla ice is eminem and Elvis Presley mostly, but there's also the Beastie Boys, Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. these other figures who look over and are, you know, are they appropriating or are they appropriate? 
which there's the question. There is the question, which so P Town Forever, this novel is about and I love how this character falls into, you know, was in a failed boy band, which in and of itself is such a wonderful, I, again, <laughs> metaphor for our Gilded Age, you know, because boy band music tends to be it's manufactured. They don't, most yeah. of the times they don't write their own songs. They don't write their own in, in, uh, play their own instruments. How could that fail? Right. Right. It's it's designed to make hits and be successful. They're designed to fail. (laughs) Yes. And they're as people are designed to fail, which is what makes the novel so much fun and interesting for me. It was such an interesting read. Um, But then brought back from cultural oblivion, thanks to, well, we don't call it Netflix, but through its team streaming through, through TV streaming service. service. Yeah. It, yeah. An internet streaming service TV station. You didn't call it a TV station, whatever the hell platform. Um, and the characters in a grocery store buying bad pasta and a hoagie roll. And suddenly hears the, the, their own voice coming through the PA and wondering where the hell did this come from? Which is also, I mean, yeah, that is. Aren't we also always a second away? Like, when am I going to monetize this podcast? <laughs> you know, you just haven't found the right underwear people out there to 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 to, to put the little spots in the middle. Yes, exactly. You know, I, the reason the impetus for that book, I going to my grocery store, and I swear to you, every single time I go into my grocery store, which could be daily on, on a bad week. That that Backstreet Boys song would be playing the um, I want it that way song every oh. time I was in there. Like I feel like they were like they're like oh here comes asshole let's play I want it that way and they see me walking in like with my bags and stuff and like oh here he comes let's put it on and, and just to the point where like I didn't know that I mean I knew that song from it was ubiquitous in like '99 on the radio you know if you if you were like stuck in traffic and you couldn't your CD player wasn't working. Um, <laughs> To like actually get to know the lyrics from just buying my damn groceries, and Oof. I was just find myself singing the damn thing. And then I was like, "Man, what if someone came in and they heard that, you know?" And it just kind of went from there. And I just found the most outlandish way to do it, which to be was to be this band that recorded this like one-off song that didn't go anywhere, and it just so happened to end up in the hands of this little girl who grew up to become a TV producer and use the song on the show because she got it for cheap, you know. But I give the plot away. <laughs> But it, it it stemmed from from literally being in that grocery store hearing that song almost every time I came in there. Oof. Every that's time. that's wild. We were man. in there the other day and it was on again. Wow. Yeah. No, that's 2000. I think was when I turned off to terrestrial radio forever for that reason. But yeah, how? What would it be like to? What's it like to work in that store? You better like that song. I, I hope you're a Backstreet Boy fan. It's that and Taylor Swift because there's always the shake, shake, shake song that I, I, I call it my grocery music. I'm, I'm, <laughs> but yeah, the whole, whole, whole novel stems from, from grocery chips and Backstreet Boy songs. That's great. Mm. Well, I think, but also that isn't that the thing about the internet is forever, the culture is perpetually recycling. We are now, you can't say that song is so 1999. There, because there were school kids singing on the street uh, the last year. I was walking by and like, they're singing, I want it that way. And I was in the midst of writing this song. I'm like, these are kids that weren't around and they're singing this like they just heard it the other day. And 
you know, I don't remember groups of kids walking down the street singing. I don't know who's big in the a BG song, you know, like we biggest disco got big in the nineties. Again, we had that, that, that brief dalliance with the seventies, but I just yeah. don't remember seeing kids and Moss running out of school in their little Catholic outfits singing, you know, night fever. <laughs> exactly. But that, but isn't that a weird thing about right now? All culture is permanent and forever and with us constantly. And you don't know what's out there and what's going to come back. It is, but then people make the same arguments that that younger people aren't as culturally aware as as people our age were. Meaning that, like, oh, you know, I'll mention Elvis, and they don't know who Elvis is, or I'll mention, you know, the Kinks, and they don't know, but we know. And I can think to myself that, yeah, I knew, but you know, if I had the internet back when I was that age, would I know my my dad's music? I was in the back of the seat of the car, and he put the oldie station on, and I didn't have a choice. Like we had one television, like whatever was on TV, yes. I had a choice. If I had a choice, I would have gone in and been like, yeah, it's going to be Debbie Gibson all night, brother. You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Well, I, I mean, I think but that that is, again, another thing about in terms of what culture has provided our young people or what, right? There are no editors. There's no meta narrative. There's no, you know, again, for me, it was, you know, grunge blowing hair metal out of the water. Yeah. Similar moment. You know, is that moment of like, oh, that's old. This is new. This is next. I don't really have that. I was like the metalheads in high school that just didn't know what to do in the fall of '91. Like, these yes. like uh, uh, there's like that confusion moment where like it's like, do I do I abandon Tesla? Like, what do I do? Like, I don't I don't know. Like, I here I am like writing my own version of Cherry Pie Pumpkin Pie, and next thing you know, these these kids wearing a flannel shirt, and you know, I don't know what to do. I watched it. I watched the like the sort of existential crisis of the metalheads in my grade when Nirvana hit. <laughs> friend, former co-worker has the experience, had the experience of going to LA to get signed and working in 91, 92 at the subway on the Sunset Strip or near the Sunset Strip at the mm-hmm. subway. And everybody working at that subway was in a band like Poison, Rat, Great White, had moved to LA to get signed. The subway was the temporary gig. And what the hell do you do now? <laughs> that suddenly, unless you're like GNR and Van Halen, you're done. Like you, yeah. Cool. The bands that were signed were getting dropped, and you know, it's also for them. It was well, if we go home, we have to admit that this didn't work, and that it's <laughs> over. But it was over. And what the hell do you do? And in certain ways, I think, again, this prox- this constant proximity to fame, this, this idea that if we're just clever enough, we can go viral. And I look at it, I mean, I look at, um, I'm a huge fan of regular car reviews. I love that YouTube channel. That guy was an English teacher, has his master's from the Pennsylvania State System of higher ed network uh, in in English, just like me, and you know, I got the other degree too, but decided let's do a YouTube channel where we review cars like we would a work of literature. And that's his gig now. That's what he does for a living. Jeez. I, you know what's amazing? What you can yeah. do with YouTube. Yeah. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Why didn't I think of that first? <laughs> You know, those weekends where I got a grade of like 80 essays, I go, man, I I have thoughts about the 98 Toyota Camry. 
I'm gonna start reviewing my reviewing my neighbors like novels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pothead Joe in six A. Yeah. Call me Pothead Joe. <laughs> You know, and it's even that thought. It's like, well, maybe should I get into media? Should I try? Should I try to monetize this podcast or whatever? Um, I have enough actually issues with people. I think trying to steal the domain name because I guess uh, something called "We're All Going to Die" is fun and interesting or whatever. Or a podcast called that. I bet there was a big uh, run in it in the last year or so. <laughs> yes, and so I've had to to do some. I've had to spend some money on cybersecurity for the site because I was say nothing like a worldwide pandemic to get that apocalyptic fervor going. Yes, and so yeah, and somebody wants this website and uh, they can't have, have, it. have it. But I'm also not making any money off it. And I, that's the other thought. I was like, well, if actually if I monetized it, would it would they leave me alone? Could I could I get the Twitter check blue check mark? And is that a that, that is a goal. That is a goal. It's a goal. And but that's our emotional lives. And I love how again to, to get back to the works. And we're we're thirty six minutes into this conversation, and we haven't read anything yet. I haven't asked right. you to read anything yet, so we should do that All right. um, soon. But you know that emotionally fraught again, so close to fame, so close to just super nice things. Everything's really nice, except that it's not. And for, for me, yeah, except for those hair metal guys. Not for them guys, not for not that. For them, not for them anymore. But of course, I guess now you're cursed if you even pick up a guitar at this point. You're not getting on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I will say the the flip side of that for me is there is so much great DIY music right now. Like it, I don't have the time to listen to all of the things I want to listen to right now. Yeah. And there's so many people and before COVID times, even in Pittsburgh, you know, there was probably at least two shows worth seeing every night of the week. And I drag myself out to one once a week. Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Rock rock's not dead. It's just not the pervasive, you know, musical. It's just not commercial. It's not selling. Right. But there's when some really like, great when you rock. Like just, wouldn't you like just one more band to break through, though? Just just one more rock and roll band to just to just bust out <laughs> in the way that Nirvana did. Just one more group. It would be nice. It, well, here's what I really like want in 2021. But one more group to just bust through it all. Yeah, just pushing it, Taylor and Maroon 5 with that whiny ass voice out of the way and move like Jagger off the stage. Just get off the stage. Just one more rock band to just break through before it's completely just culturally void well so here's i'll say two things about that one just knowing my personality i would fucking hate that band <laughs> what would you but, I, did you but you love nirvana back in i UN, love nirvana right? but then no one else got through like oasis like i hated oasis <laughs> oh oasis was the last band i mean there's that great netflix documentary about oasis where i think it was liam or joel or whatever whatever drunk gallagher brother it was, no. it was like <laughs> we were the last one you know, they played that 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 festival that was their festival, that it was something like eight out of 10 people in England joined the ticket lottery or something like that. They said something like they could have played 10 shows and sold out all 10 for different people. Yeah. I mean, shows that a quarter of a million people, uh, you know, a quarter, they played what three, I think, and a quarter of a million people went to each one. And they were like, we were the last band that could do that. 
And but at the it, time, yeah. I was like, and I will say, I could go to my grave and never hear Wonderwall again, and that would be a good life. Well, I'm an Oasis fan, and I could probably go to my grave without hearing Wonderwall. Yeah. But now I can like, okay, Don't Look Back in Anger is such an amazing song. I love that song so much. The deep album cuts, I've actually bought some of those CDs used to have you them. Don't have to, you don't have to defend your position on not being an Oasis fan on your no. podcast. Don't worry well, no, about no. it. Well, no, no. I I will say I appreciate them more now way worse, when I could. <laughs> yeah. When <laughs> I could. My likes. Drive my car and not hear. I mean, I guess that's the other thing for me is I turned off Telestra Radio <laughs> Even my car, I have a USB stick with now 16,000 MP3s in it. I, I've heard Old Town Road by Little Nas X 12 times and found it utterly delightful each time. I've never heard it. It's great. Oh, it's so much. I mean, I it's such Nas a good hook. Because everybody got their panties in and not because of the him, what, Montero like, video. Jumping on the devil or doing a, yeah. a lap dance for the devil. And people got angry recently. But yeah, but. That song, song, heard that song, you know, 10 times. It's the best. It's great. If I was in a position where I could not get in my car and not hear that song the same way I could not get in my car and not hear Interstate Love Song by Stone Temple Pilots or anything by U2 or Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. and well, you know, if I could, thirty years ago though, yeah, like Blood Sugar Sex Magic was amazing. Yeah, to the point where, like, I think me and friends watched like the making of it, in, like the Hendrix House, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like in in a right size dose. But if there, so there was, if there was for me a big band that broke through like that, I'd just be like, oh god, is everybody? <laughs> you can't escape it. But if I can hear that record ten times, oh, so good. What I want, and this hasn't happened to me since Wolf Parade in like 05 or 06, is to hear something that immediately made everything else that I was listening to at the time seem irrelevant. Mm. That's what I want. And that could be an indie band that 10 people have heard of. And that's okay. I can. Ha- I want that experience. I want the experience that just says, for a moment, here is something completely out of left field that you haven't heard because, I mean, there's so many great bands. I mean, like the whole state of Indiana is full of bands that sound like 94 alternative bands. Mm-hmm. It's this weird thing that's happening out there in the Midwest. And it's so good. Like Bug with two Gs. Those are like literally 20-year-old kids that are trying to sound like Sebado did in 1994. And it's so good. And their video... Though for the one song called Whiskey in the Whiskey in the Well or Whiskey in the Water, like the one kid's wearing a Juliana Hatfield t-shirt. There's a nevermind t-shirt on. They're playing in the the band is playing in the bedroom, and there's like a nevermind shirt uh, or or poster on the wall. Like that is like, yeah, you if you want that sound, you can get that sound. It's it's available to you. You know, uh, that's what I want. I want to hear the record that just makes everything else freaking irrelevant for a moment. Well, I, yeah. So who doesn't want to hear that record? Yeah. It's been a minute. Yeah. I I don't know if that's age though or not. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what music is going to make things feel irrelevant to me. I have too many things that always consistently crashing down that I just, yeah. These problems go away. You know, music could do that at 17. And like, what, what did I have? What were my problems? See, I was overweight. And I liked girls and they didn't like me. 
Yeah. Well, and also you hadn't heard everything when you were 17. That was probably it. You know, you like know, it, it's it's about that question of cultural literacy. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I had a TA, brilliant, brilliant student, brilliant person, thought Panic at the Disco was the best band ever. And it's like, oh, that's not even good emo. You haven't heard good emo. Oh, I mean, super nice person. Super great. Likes new Weezer better than old Weezer. And just like, oh, well, you just maybe you just haven't heard it yet. And if I hadn't heard anything else before. Yeah, that would sound good to me. (laughs) But I've heard a bunch of other stuff. It sounds a lot better. And in 20, and where is she going to be in 20 years what she, with what she listens to? She's going to discover Pinkerton. That's what she's yeah, going to discover. She hasn't got there yet. No. <laughs> we were ready for Pinkerton when Pinkerton came out. <laughs> I, I think so. I don't know if I'm necessarily ready for Van Weezer, their, their, their hair, metal, hair metal band that they just brought out, their hair metal album. So I, I haven't listened to even an, an, an inch of that yet. So uh, I've heard snippets of songs. They're not good. I mean, he does the style perfectly. He knows how to write any kind of song he wants, but he doesn't make art anymore. He's like, I know how to write a hit hair metal song. I can do a whole album of hit hair metal songs. Let's just do that. It's writing for the monkeys got to his head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I had a friend whose band opened for Weezer Mm -hmm. stage AE, and he said that it was the weirdest thing because they all had their own handlers. They all had their own tour buses. Even at the encore break, the four guys just retreated to their own corners and the handlers all coordinated. Okay. It's time to go back. That's like a new edition concert. All their big, (laughs) all their big, I saw anthrax like that style. Yeah. I mean, I saw when I saw anthrax, I mean, the roadies couldn't even talk to the other person person directly so scott ian's roadie had to summon joey belladonna's roadie to because scott ian had a message for joey about something because he was having guitar problems or something so he had to the scott ian's roadie could not Mm -hmm. address the singer in the band he had to get the singer's personal roadie to come over to relay the message and that for me was like that's a band full of people who know that they can't make more money doing anything else. So they're touring as that band because they can't do anything else with their lives. Wait, you got to think being in a band it, like in some ways is unnatural. If you are in a band for 20 or 30 years together, like you imagine, like think about the Beatles. It was inevitable. They would end up hating each other. Yeah. I mean, you're in a band with these dudes when you're 15, you know, like if I, if I was still, if I still had to meet up with the guys when I was, that I was friends with at 15 and play concerts with them right now, it'd be the most depressing thing. I don't even talk to those guys anymore. I, you know, that 9-11 shit, that was a real falling out that I had with a friend of mine that, that like, I told him that, you know, he would have been the first person to jump over kids and, 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 you know, we haven't talked in 10 years as a result of that. Yeah. I knew him since I was eight. So, oh. <laughs> like, imagine if we were in a band together and he had to show and play drums on our tour. Yeah. Which I think that that for me is what I love so much about the novel is this idea that maybe people don't actually change, (laughs) you know, they try to reclaim, they try to redeem, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could fix the past? Wouldn't it be great if we could sleep with the one that got away or something? 
And then you realize, no, it's actually would just be the same shit, just in a different era mm. and slightly more pathetic. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess with gray hair comes a certain hapless patheticism that I can't seem to avoid, you know, like things that I used to look cool doing if that were just not the same now. Yeah, I mean, my hat backwards. You go ahead. (laughs) You know, I I once had a student, so I only wear black. I've only worn black clothes since 1999. I just, I never, I just got over the, well, does this shirt meet Matt's pants? That's khaki pants. Can I wear a red shirt with khaki pants? No, just black. It's all black. And finally, I had a student once ask me, why? And my answer that day, there's many reasons why, but my answer that day was, is 10 years from now, there will not be a picture of me on the internet wearing salmon colored shorts. That, you know what, if, 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 if that's your only reason, I think that's still a good one because I, I don't think anyone needs to be caught wearing salmon colored shorts. Yeah, I mean, then that picture's forever, isn't it? Until, you know, the planet pole reversal or something and all the digital memory gets wiped okay. out. I can I can understand it. It, it also simplifies it. Like I, like I don't necessarily wear all black, but black is a primary color. And you know, uh, but I will wear the same two or three. Like at work, I go and change into the same shirt every day. These people have not seen me in anything but a blue short sleeve button down shirt since 2017. They probably they, I can only imagine what my what my coworkers say behind my back when I'm not around. Like about how I don't change my clothes. I mean, they see me come to and leave work in different gear, but like while I'm there, same shirt. Hey, problem solved. Yeah, you're dressed as Thoreau says, the vital heat has been retained. Mm. Modesty Again, is achieved. You're good. I you're born, out. I were born stupid and attractive. Maybe I'd care about clothes, but you know, yeah. instead of write poetry. Yes. So can we hear suppose actually the one I want to hear because for me is on uh, eating a cheeseburger during the end times and, and please do read the ones you want to hear or you want to read because uh, we've talked about them before is the homeless guy outside my job doesn't care about right, our little pandemic. That, that is on page 109. All right. I got gotcha. you. All right. So I'll read that one. Yes. And then okay. do as thou wilt from there, or we could talk okay. about it, but I, I actually maybe read it and then I'll geek out about what I like about it. Okay. All right. And then my glasses off and I'll, uh, this is... and then you can flip through as I'm geeking and read the next one. All right, here we go. It's called The Homeless Guy Outside of My Job Doesn't Care About Our Little Pandemic. He needs to use the bathroom. And if we're closed, he'll scream and rant and rave, stick his hand down his pants, come up with an armful of shit and smear it on our door, claim the dog did it as he runs away from the cops. The homeless guy outside of my job doesn't care about our little pandemic or washing his hands for 20 seconds while he hums the ABCs or where you can get some hand sanitizer and rubber gloves, how many people are infected, how many people have died, whether or not the president is incompetent. He wants to use the shitter now, find a place to sleep now. And if he can't get that, then he's content to spread his feces, feces like a master baker all over the glass and door handle, cackling at our outrage wide enough so that we can see his one good tooth in the thick brown smear as he stumbles away a big, dirty infection, a capitalist plague, the original global virus. So there is the, the Venn diagram overlap of the two books with uh, the, the shit smearing. Yeah, uh, well, I was writing the poems for this book as I was finishing up, uh, as I was like, actually, the being 
um, the pandemic was a real big help to writing because we were, I was home a lot. So I was like, you know, not to use the word, but, you know, Jay, you, you shit or get off the pot with this, with this P-Town book. Yeah. I did. It became dedication. But, you know, I always feel like if I don't, if I'm not writing a poem every so often, then, then I'm like, okay, you're going to, you're going to, you know, like if you remain an amateur all the time, I guess you're on the right path. And like, you're going to lose it. You're not going to be able to ever do this again. So come up with something. And, yeah. you know, as I was working on the book, I came, I was like, well, this would probably make a really cool poem. Let me see if I can turn this into a poem. And then it just ends up, I mean, there's always, there's always in my writing. You're, you, you, anyone that reads my fiction will know that this, there was a poem about something that happened because a lot of it is informed by life. Um, yeah. Not to say that I was ever in a boy band or an RB group. <laughs> I keep waiting, kept waiting for a new edition to call and make me their first white member, but they never did. And that's mm. okay. Um, but, you know, so yeah, it, it is in both. Yes. But I think it's also the perfect metaphor for me for this, these times and what I was drawn to in both books is that, yes, everything's glittering. Everything's nice. There are very happy people enjoying very pleasant things in our world. But it, on the same breath in the same moment, there's literally these, you know, people who have to deal with the shit. Yeah. And I've had friends that worked retail. I mean, there I have a friend who worked at the Home Depot in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. And there was a guy who would come in and shit in the Home Depot every day. He would sneak in. He would shit in one of the aisles. And the worst thing that would happen is those big flatbed carts that they have with six wheels if one of the if one of those hit the shit it would smear it for the wheels would stick and just dra- leave a skid mark i have a friend who worked at the Rite Aid in Homestead and people would something didn't go their way i never saw shit in that Rite Aid i never saw shit in that Home Depot but it would happen for the friend in the Rite Aid a weekly thing we was don't see homeless? it. No. That's it was like a it was like a kink or just something he had felt compelled to do every day. It's something he felt compelled to do for the Home Depot guy. For the Rite Aid people, it was just if somebody's you know card got declined. Um, let's face it, a pharmacist's real job these days is not counting pills, it's not determining drug interactions, it's telling people that they're insurance will not cover the medication that they need to live or be healthy. And you either need to pay this money or you need to tell, have your doctor come up with a plan B. God, you mentioned going home after doing that all day. We need some pharmacist poets. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Write those poems about what that fucking feels like after. Yeah. Uh, and so people would just, they were revenge. Those people were revenge shitters. That's a thing. I mean, I've, I've seen videos like people didn't get their coffee in Starbucks. They pull down their pants and take a shit. I mean, yeah. We're crazy with that. Yeah. And it's everywhere and it's happening all the time. And somebody's got to clean that up. And for as much as we like to go and, and enjoy nice things and new developments and, you know, it's pretty common uh, for, you know, the changing booths for people to use. The changing booths as a toilet since I'm already undressed and I got to go and there's no receptacle, but I'll just go. You know, you know which ones I like, and this this is like this is the real slap in the face. I like the ones that actually get access to the bathroom and still choose not to shit in the toilet. 
It's yeah. like you go in there, like, like someone will like come inform me at my job and a big like, fucking turd right next to the bowl. And it's not like it was like, I just couldn't make it. It was just, you know, you went all the way to the bathroom. You got in the, you stood in the line at the public restroom. You got in there. You're right in front of the, of the, of the, the, the receptacle and you know, right next to it. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I guess, I guess maybe that person in, in Home Depot shit or have, they have a club that they're a part of where they just sort of talk about their weird, you know. Or is it, you know, it, is it just their way of getting back at the world and taking yeah. out that aggression and that, that, that this, this cosmopolitan canopy of this nice thing that, you know, this world that people don't really get to be a part of. Yeah, but it's never the corporate CEO cleaning up the shit. It is so. never. And that's, that is the thing. And that is the thing. And so for me, I think that's just the perfect metaphor for what the emotional labor is for dealing with the public. Um, How many broken people are out there? A lot. And we just, you know, I see it. I mean, prior to COVID, we see, you see it all the time. And, and, you know, in, in, in a library where I work. Yeah. We can just dipsy doodle right past it. And we do most of the time carrying our little rolly bags and our big, huge Starbucks coffee and our big Dunkin' Donut iced coffee. Yeah. And all the important shit on Twitter. Yeah. Pizza <laughs> with shit in the middle of it. That's who we are. Pizza with shit in the middle of it. Actually, that's what this episode should have been called. Shit in the middle of it. But, that you know, I re- that should be the flag. <laughs> Fuck Betsy Ross, man. Give me that big, 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 huge, like cheese with pepperoni, a big lump of crap right in the middle. That screams USA. Oh, so do you have other poems? Actually, you know, before we get to the bottom five, could could we yeah, hear a couple more poems? Let's get let's get back to the point of this show. Yes, let's try. We didn't even get really the baseball like. cards. I don't know if we're gonna get the oh, baseball shit. cards. Oh, okay. I'm gonna read one that my wife like called out Miss Morality, please approximately. Love this one myself. All right. She makes herself a good neighbor by loitering and shouting out into the void like it's always noon. Votes Republican, stands for the flag, kneels for the cross, says kids these days have no morality. What with the and the and there, then spouting off a list of juvenile inanities that plague each successive generation as it grows older and out of the zeitgeist glance. It's pretty boring down here in summer trying to live a life between heat waves, street festivals, and parades. She has to do something to entertain herself. Today, she's the morality police. Tomorrow, it'll be smiling, abject, racist, in line at the overpriced grocery store, telling her buddy waiting behind her how she's able to discern the good ones from the bad, just like the little Arab girl ringing up her groceries, who never flinches when she speaks. Oh, no, not even once. Oof. Yeah, love that one. The world is made for little Miss Morality. Yeah, like I said, it's not all just Backstreet Boys songs at the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) So, do you you want me to do another? Yeah, why don't you do one more before we go to the bottom five? All right, let's do the uh, let's do the title one called "Eating a Cheeseburger During the End Times." Eating a cheeseburger during the end times. The bar has most of its televisions turned to Fox Business Channel except for the one playing a Mets Nationals game from last year. The men in the bar are watching the stock market crash again and again with as rapt attention as they would ESPN. Tomorrow the world is on lockdown and this bar will be closed like thousands of others while we wait out the pandemic. 
But today is for eating a cheeseburger during the end times. As men in the bar complain about the money they'll lose on the stock market, instead of maybe losing their health or their lives. Men seem to worry about the most trivial things in times of crisis. A week ago, I was complaining about my job. Yesterday, I fought two people for the last loaf of bread and screamed into the void about the lack of toilet paper and black beans. And who in the hell knows if I'll have a job to go back to? I probably should be indoors, making neighborly peace and hand sanitizing my soul, binge watching a world that now looks so foreign to me. But they make a damned good cheeseburger here. And it might be months, if ever, before I get to have it again. The bartender, Ross, is losing his job tomorrow. He just took a bath on his Disney stock an hour ago and got a text that his fiance lost her job right now. They were planning for a wedding in May. The unraveling is happening in real time and there's nothing to do or say, but just sit here and wait on it. Except for some guy in an FDNY t-shirt who says, the flu killed more people yesterday. And everyone laughs and nods silently. They go back to watching TV, the stock market crash on TV, go back to watching the stock market crash on TV, sucking up a trillion government money. As I clear my second beer and turn to the year old Mets Nationals game, cheering when Juan Soto hits a double, a full move for sure, but forgetting, forgetting all of this, if only for a moment. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. I remember where I ate out last. Where? Where'd you go? I went to the restaurant in uh, on Cheat Lake in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's right on the lake. That if you eat there in the summer, you can eat on the port. Eat, eat on the back deck, and it's right on the water. And it's just a really nice restaurant in West Virginia. That's the la- I don't remember what I ate. I don't I think I even got book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Looks good. Yes, they make a damn good burger, but yeah, it's it's weird to remember like last concerts, last things you did. Yeah. Before all of it. Last place I ate was actually in that that part which that butt bar, which was called Skinflint in Bay Ridge. Mm. Other noted for their burgers. But yeah, it's yeah. I mean, the last movie we saw, last concert we saw. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like things are opening up again, but it's just still weird. I have a little little PTSD to work through. I'm yeah. Not that I'm an introvert, so this was a great year for me in a way. I mean, despite the carnage, uh, what a great! What, I had a daddy time during the pandemic. Talked <laughs> <laughs> all my pandemic friends. Yes. Yeah. So, so what's the best way to get a hold of these books for for our listening audience for to get Cheeseburger P Town Forever? Um, what would be the best way? And I'll have links on the website and stuff too. When the I'm best way for you to get these books probably is through Barnes and Noble or Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, buying through me and you can attest to the five people I haven't gotten back in touch with yet is cool. I mean, I will have copies, but uh, I have no financial presence online. Like I don't have a PayPal. I don't have mm-hmm. a Venmo. So I'm like, my wife has been kind of, let me use hers because I feel bad doing that so that is an option um i feel bad because it really hampers my promotion but if if one understood my anxiety and the fact that i check my bank account about 40 times a day then Mm. one would understand why i don't have paypal or venmo (laughs) um but 
I, I would I'd say those those routes probably Amazon or and Barnes and Noble probably the best bet. Okay. Great. I will post links to all these things. Again, these uh, uh, I, I again I just geek out. Really enjoy. Um, I, I enjoyed yesterday living inside your literary brain. Well, rather you than me. Yes. All <laughs> right. My brain. Yes. And so now it's time for the bottom five. All right. A series of questions not related to our main topic that are of a surrealistic and or philosophical nature. Okay. All right. Let's do this. Question one. It's the first question everybody gets first time on the show. If reincarnation is real and you had to come back as an infectious disease or illness, what kind of disease or illness would you be? Obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay. Because I, 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 I dabble in that. Um, but I, I have to say that, that God, you know, I, I wouldn't want, I, I should probably not say that because I wouldn't want to be the thing that causes someone to like check their door 45 times or have like 8 million photographs of their oven on their phone just to prove that it's off. Mm. But why not? You know, it's yeah. tormented me. There we go. Okay. Fair enough. Question two, name a film world you would like to visit or live in permanently. If you could Gumby your way into a DVD box. You know where I'd want to live? You know, it seems so folksy and like completely not true of the writing world in general. The world that they created in Wonder Boys. Mm. Did you see Wonder Boys with Michael Douglas? Oh, yeah. I want to live in that world. I want to go to WordFest and it be all woodsy and, and kind of kind of like dimly lit and, you know, get to hang out with a cool professor and smoke weed, you know, and then, you know, see Katie Holmes in when she was 20 in red boots. There we yeah. go. I want, to, I want to live inside the fictitious world they created in Wonder Boys. Sounds good. Sounds good. That shit ain't real. <laughs> yeah. Question three. If you could unmake any invention, what would it be? Cell phone. Cell phone. Perfect. Cell phone. Without saying. Without saying. That immediately. Yes. All right. Question four, which is something actually, Jason, uh, we were talking before the show about razor blade edits. Jason Baldinger answered this question once in a way that I probably should have cut out. <laughs> if we were living in a dystopian future and the only books to survive would be those bound in human skin, would you... And what book would you donate your skin for? With the caveat, the Bible, the Quran, and the complete works of Shakespeare. Somebody already thought of those. Okay. Those are off the table. Living dystopia. You know, I think I I would like to be in the joy of sex. Okay. In the flesh-bound joy of sex. I mean, you know, there you go. You have a a, 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 a cover. Yeah, a lot. Holy shit, that is the most meta answer to this question. I've been asking this question for years. Yes. Hey, imagine the... you get a flesh-covered copy of The Joy of Sex. Wow. That's got layers, man. I love yeah, it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's mine, so it might turn a lot of people off. But I'm thinking if you're in a dystopia, you probably, you're doing one of those, like, Winston Smith things where you're going off into, like, you know, the, like, sort of bum town to, like, have your liaison, so... You know, if you get that old copy of the flesh covered, you know, that's your activity. Yeah. And if you don't, I guess part of this premise too is, and if you don't, it doesn't survive. Yeah. It, there's no future. There's no joy of sex in the future you if go. you don't. So the flesh covered joy of sex. You wow. Enjoy Winston Smith. Yes. All right. You're almost through this. All right. Question five. 
if if there is a hell and you end up there, name one celebrity that you expect or hope to be there, to meet there. Oh, why? Well, I, jeez. I, I mean, I definitely expect Jerry Falwell to be there. Hmm. Or, or are we talking about like they're not Paul, like we're talking about like like a, like a TV star. I think we're talking about. I guess that's the that's part of the slash. Like you would expect Jerry Falwell to be there. Oh, well, I hope that it yeah. would be the probably holding court with Dick Cheney, Trump, Reagan. Yeah. You know. All right. Well, or, let me, let me. or there's the other way of taking the question, which is, oh yeah, like Frank Sinatra, and we're gonna have the best okay. fucking time. Wow. You know what okay, I mean? Let's... That's the other. That's the other way that question yeah. could go. Is like, and I'll tell you how, where this question came from. Uh, it's Twain's Letters from the Earth, okay. and when I had. Twain's Letters from the Earth in American Lit 1 in, no, American Lit 2, sorry, in my Catholic college, my professor who'd been at the university for 40 years, we were going through it and this, there's this thing in Letters to the Earth where it's like all the interesting people are in hell. Satan is saying all the interesting, cool people are in hell. And there was a nun sitting in the front row and the professor was like, don't you think that's true, everybody? Don't you think all the really interesting, creative people are probably in hell? And then he turns to the nun and says, not to ruin your devotional, sister, but don't you think so? So we're looking at hell as kind of like a swanky place where I like, like, it could I'd be either run into a verse. People I'd want to run into versus like, ah, shit, I'm, I'm as bad as that one, huh? Like, yeah, I, I mean, well, it's how you want to go with it. What's your theology? I guess Ooh, that's that's the geez. real question. So there's layers to this question well, is. Whether hell is the, yeah, that's where all the really interesting creative people have ended up because they've done all this really terrible shit to be interesting and creative or, and it might be fun or, (laughs) or it it could be that Jerry fall. Yes. All the truly evil people in the world. The theology that I grew up with would say that, that, you know, hell is a bad place. I didn't, I don't subscribe to that theology as an adult. Um, Oh, so, so if hell is a swanky place, a fun place, somewhere north, somewhere I want to hang out with someone that's got some tales to tell. Maybe I want to run to Henry Miller there. Okay, that's a good choice. Like Henry Miller's got to be in, if hell's if hell's a place for for people that kind of ran against the grain socially, at least for their time period. I think Henry Miller would probably be sitting in hell. You know. That's fair. That's a good one. He's one one windowed room in hell. We'll walk the the sort of like hellish Paris streets. Love it. Yeah. Let's put Henry Miller there for for, right. for, 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 for a utopic version of hell. Fall well for the other hell. He's there. Yes. For sure. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's about it. Uh, <laughs> our next episode will eventually happen and it'll be about something with a guest. Uh, our homepage where you can find new and old episodes is going to die podcast.com. That is if hackers haven't tried to hijack our domain name again. We're also on Apple podcast, Spotify, Google play podcast, Stitcher, tune in podcast addict. And when I remember Mixcloud, follow go. us on Twitter at, at going to die podcast. And we're all going to die is on Facebook. Thank you to Andrew Fox for a lovely theme music. And thanks to our guest, John Grohalski. Yes. Yes. And thank you for having me. No problem. Later, meets.